the DH. I really like Brent Laurie, and I bet I could watch you smoke your air out all day. But when you're done doing whatever, when you're through playing whoever, you know that the Nats fans will be right. Ridiculous finishing school. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to Resting Pitch Face, episode 49. I'm Kay. I'm Laura. And I'm Sydney. Catch us on our uh, website, restingpitchface.com. Catch us on our Twitter, Resting Pitch Face with no G. That's usually the most direct way to get in touch with us. But if you want a more direct way or a more personal way, you can always email us, I mean, our Gmail, restingpitchface at gmail.com. So to get into the business of... Uh, this this past two weeks, we thought we'd start with something a little new and not Nationals related because we're going to get to the Nationals depressing stuff in, in a little bit. In a little bit. I don't know what you mean. It's not depressing, Kay. Nothing about this season is depressing. <laughs> Baseball well, have... is about joy and hope and spring and stuff. Well, in terms of hope, though, this week, uh, Sydney and I were lucky enough to go see the debut screening of a new documentary. Um, called Throw Like a Girl by Cami Kidder. Uh, it was it was the first screening, so it was sort of like the preview cut, you know? It's a rough kind of, cut. It a was rough a very cut. rough cut. <laughs> I've never seen like a rough cut of somebody's movie okay. before, so that was kind of cool, but it's a documentary about women's baseball, like the history of women's baseball, where it's progressing to, and we were really excited to, to go and see that. Sorry, unfortunately, Laura couldn't be with us because of, you know, geography. Life, geography. Although, Time, geography, yeah. I kind of got the impression she was from New England, so maybe there'll be more opportunities in your neck of the woods soon. I'll keep an eye out. I follow yeah. them on Twitter. I was really excited to see you guys were going. Yeah. So basically, the the movie starts with her going to fa- uh, Red Sox fantasy camp with her dad. Oh, the dream. Um, and it was supposed to be a like brief documentary about going to Red Sox fantasy camp as a in in. I would say the early 2000s-ish. I think it was 2005. Yeah, that's yeah. before they had a women's fantasy camp. Exactly. Yeah. And um, it was definitely supposed to be the dream. And as a way of bonding with her father, who has sort of, you know, she kind of alluded to a, a had a complicated life. But instead, it just kind of sucked for her Aww. because, like, everyone was mean. And I think she used the phrase, they all reverted to being 12 years old. Yeah, that they basically, a bunch of the dudes there said a bunch of either mean or condescending or both things. I mean, it's fantasy camp. Like, no one's going because they're serious about playing baseball. Everyone's going because it's, you know, because it's it's the dream. It's it's pretend to be it's pretending time. It is pretending time. So the sort of impetus behind this is like, you know, women in baseball are always seen as a novelty, but the history of it is very much not a novelty mm-hmm. um, and traces it back to like the origin of organized baseball in the 1860s all the way to the present um, and follows some of the little league, the, gr- the girls, literally girls, um, when they're like 11 and 12 years old, um, little league players who then eventually play in the... Um, women's baseball world cup so like 12 year old jade gortar is, is in the movie yeah was my was my future wife in the movie megan no. balthill was not in the movie no <sighs> but there's as we said it was a rough cut she definitely said that there's material that she has not yet gotten to include so maybe yeah and i will say like there was definitely you know it, it was a an interesting history but not a complete history. Um, so I would say the the sort of more glaring omissions were 
about you know women playing in the Negro Leagues, oh, yeah. um, and you know about Monet Davis um, mm-hmm. in particular. And she says that those are those are both elements that are going in the in the movie, and she has filmed more or less, but that have not yet been added into an edit. Which mm-hmm. for a rough cut is very typical. Yeah, I'll say. Yeah. Um, but it those did seem to be fairly noticeable. And then like not even anything about like the lawsuit against Little League was in there. Well, yeah. it was mentioned that there had been lawsuits. Yeah, but not the sort of circumstances about like the lawsuit and about, you know, sort of like the whole his that sort of element of history was definitely not fully elaborated on. Well Maria Maria Pepe is still alive and seems pretty interested in remaining involved, which is I mean, fascinating. She was a little kid when all this happened. So I wonder if there's any plan to interview her or talk to her about that while she is willing to. And and she said basically, short answer, yes. I, you know, it was just a few folks. There was a Q&A after, afterwards and a few folks asked about a few things. And the, the answer was, yep, gonna gonna put all this in and yep, gonna turn maybe this into a series. And um, the, also the other thought was, taking the stuff about uh, girls going to the Women's Baseball World Cup and making that its own movie. Which so would you, be, yeah. Yeah, um, which I think might be good just for the the running time. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, you know, 150 plus years of history plus sort yeah. of in, an interesting human story yeah. um, in the more modern era about uh, girls, you know, going in and playing... Mm-hmm. Uh, both competitive college softball and baseball for their country. Yeah. But I will say, um, I guess one of the takeaways for me in terms of like the, the, the narrative of the, of the film and what I interpreted her trying to like get at was, you know, she started with this camp and saying like all these boys grew up with the dream of being a professional baseball player. And it wasn't something that was even on her radar to have as a dream because there were no options. And then by the end of the movie, you're seeing uh, girls and women playing some professionally and basically being the first wave of inspiration for other girls so that maybe they could have that dream themselves. So that was nice about it. Like that was a, that was a good strong arc throughout. Yeah, and I think it's it's really this is a case where a series honestly makes more sense. Yeah. Um, you know, it, she said like Ken Burns got X number of hours, I get 78 yeah. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> because you're like, well, you don't talk about like the organized, you know, organized women's baseball in Japan that much. You don't talk about this. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, only so, there's only so much. Yeah, um, I mean, Japan, that could be its whole own documentary. And I hope that it is someday because yeah. I would love to watch that. Yeah, I mean, and I don't necessarily blame her for being America focused because that's the sort of perspective of like, it is a little bit different here when it makes no sense to be so um but it was a good it was a good screening and hopefully uh, it'll be available to a much wider audience in the in the near future because it is it is material that needs to be out there in a less disparate form should i say somebody needs to collect this material and put it out there all in one in in, in a package you know yeah and i think what sid was saying about how you know, every time there's a girl or a woman in baseball, it's seen as a novelty. Mm. We need we need to change that because it's yeah. not. Because women and girls have been playing this game and being involved in this game for as long as men have. Possibly every longer. Single, possibly longer. But every single one of them is made to feel like they're the first to do it and they have to reinvent the wheel, mm-hmm. which is absurd at this point. And thankfully, you know, in this day and age with the internet, it's easier to find that out. But just in public perception and pop culture, that's a really important shift in terms of how girls and women 
entering the game see themselves and how the non-girls and women around them, primarily men, are going to perceive them as a novelty versus, oh, okay, like we don't have that many of these Mm -hmm. people, but they're not new, so cool. And to sort of add to, and I wouldn't say like the legitimacy of women in baseball, but like the sort of broader understanding of the narrative and acceptance. Um, I was told by somebody at Baseball Perspectives, they are launching the uh, WBWC pitch hit tracking site soon. Ooh! Yes. So if you would like to go and like sweat over Jay Gortara's numbers or Ayami Sada's numbers, you're allowed to do that now. I That's only want to sweat over Megan Baltzell's numbers. I am very <laughs> faithful to my future wife, but I appreciate having options. Yeah. <laughs> So, but you know, that's again, that led sort of like a, this isn't a novelty if you're, if, if, you know, their numbers are next to the other numbers, right? right? Um, that you can go and sort of treat this as something that is worth sort of the intellect, like intellectual rigor, mm-hmm. of, you mm-hmm. know, watching as opposed to like, this is, this is a novelty. And I think we talked about a long time ago that like, I had somebody basically get snippy with me about like, well, you know, like uh, maybe Johnson and Tony Stone and Connie Morgan, they played on like a not real team and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, that team also had Hank Aaron. Like whatever you're going to rewrite. And also Tony Stone didn't only just play on that team, but like whatever you're going to kind of rewrite and sort of superimpose your clear preconceptions on, like that's not how that worked. Just like the idea of, uh, you know, people people sort of retroactively impose the novelty narrative over women in sports a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think women in baseball in particular, like the fact that female pitchers have struck out major leaguers. And it's like, well, yeah, because like it's a it's a novelty. It's a trick, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, but they did it. Mm-hmm. Can you do it? And like you can't. <laughs> and frankly, like I'll I'll take Ayami Sada's curveball against most like most dudes. They're gonna go, what the hell, you know? And it, when you look at the sort of metrics of it in terms of spin rate and things like that, like you're like, no, this is this is a this is equivalent ish to a major league curveball. Yeah, and I mean, frankly, pitching in the men's leagues in Japan is not exactly the same as pitching in the men's leagues in the U.S. So. It's still a good comparison, but it's sort of a multiple layers of transitive comparison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's it's again the the we're gonna we don't understand how this works or the history behind it, so we're gonna always assume that it's a novelty, it's a first, it's a blah blah blah. When it's like, eh. I, I would also say, I mean, not to be even more negative on this particular thing, I don't think it's a lack of. It, it's a deliberate choice to view it as a novelty. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. Like you, could, you could hand people stacks of proof, and I think they would still go, "Oh, it's a novelty." And even like, even pitch, which I loved, the, you know, the show. It's been a few years now, mm-hmm. so I feel like I need to explain this. The show about the theoretical first woman pitcher in MLB. They kind of had a whole shtick with her trick pitch, and it's like, okay, well, if we're gonna call things trick pitches, is a knuckleball not a trick pitch? Do we not everything- have? Well, yes, but like what we consider to be sort of a bread and butter standard pitch versus what we see as kind of a trick pitch. Mm-hmm. Like I know Sid can wax poetic about the fork ball, but a knuckleball at the end of the day is just as weird as a lot of other so-called trick pitches. And yet because men throw it relatively often, knuckleballs, while still seen as pretty weird, 
are not seen as a gimmick. Yeah, and I, I also think that there's the case for, like, and we're going to talk about Annabelle Sanchez. Laura's <laughs> got some feelings about Annabelle Sanchez. But, like, Annabelle Sanchez, like a lot of aging pitchers, has gone from speed to deception um, and mm-hmm. placement, supposedly. And we'll get into this supposedly. But, like, <laughs> the trick, and I'm putting that in air quotes, is to have, like, a bunch of different pitch types that you pitch at a bunch of different locations and velocities. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. occasionally means something that you're like, if you sped that thing up, it'd be an EFIS. But like, it is it is like a 59 mile an hour something. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the, the power of that is to compare it with a, you know, uh, an 85 mile an hour something else. But like the trick is the is the variation and not necessarily like the overpowering speed. And this is something that a lot of older pitchers do to, in some cases, incredibly good effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when they're the ones doing it, it's strategy, it's location, it's deception. It's command, you know, it's yeah. it's filthy, it's placement, it's, you know, not everyone's going to throw Jordan Hicks' slider, thank God. Like, But if you have Jenny Baker doing the same thing, it's a trick pitch. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and if you have somebody who's like, I also have a 30 mile an hour variation in my pitches, it's just that the top one tops out at about 80 miles an hour, you know, that's again, like, th- that's still hard to hit because you don't necessarily know what's coming, which is the point of that variation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of Tony Stone, mm-hmm. um, I can't remember if I've talked about this on the podcast already or if I've just talked to you guys about it offline, but Tony Stone is coming to Off-Broadway. Um, so for any of our listeners in New York, we now have dates, locations, tickets. Um, so Tony Stone is the name of the play as well as the name of the subject. Um, and it's based on the biography of her, Curveball by Martha Ackman, that I reviewed on our website a while ago. Um, one thing that I think is worth pointing out is that although the biography Martha Ackman is a white woman. Um, the play adaptation was done by Lydia Diamond, who's a black woman. Um, and I think there's some nuance there. Because um, I saw a staged reading of it a couple years ago at Radcliffe when it was in development. And I think there's some nuance there that Lydia Diamond picks up on that was maybe a little flatter in the biography. Um, so Roundabout Theatre Company in New York is debuting the play. And previews start on May 23rd. And basically it's sort of an artistic theatrical sort of pieces of the biography in different ways. Um, and obviously I'm sure it's changed a lot since I saw a stage reading of it several years ago. Um, but I found it really compelling. I thought it was a really cool style to show her story in. And they kind of play a little bit with the way that it's cast and who's playing who and the actors played different parts. Um, so I'm definitely going to try and get to New York this summer to see it. Um, they have it scheduled to run through August 11th. Hopefully it'll do really well and get a zillion extensions or move to Broadway or fool, fool, fool. <laughs> you know, basically my my dream is for this, like, baseball's Hamilton. I mean, that'd be pretty dope. We should we should definitely um, get a link and, and put it on our on our Twitter for that, because I think a lot of people will be interested in in knowing about that and seeing it. So, yeah, and I've, I've been retweeting news periodically about it, mm-hmm. but I'll make sure that I put up a ticket link. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think sometimes sometimes being like as specific as possible in these situations, like people are like, yeah, I'll look that up. And then three months go by or maybe I'm just talking about myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, Nat's Twitter North. Uh, You you know, the ones who are the the folks who are in New York, go see this. Yeah. We're talking to you. 
specifically steve <laughs> <laughs> yeah they also they have a choreographer even though it's not a musical um which i am really intrigued to find out what that means only one way to find out right i mean if there are baseball scenes one has to choreograph a baseball scene well yeah but like it doesn't say like pitching coach <laughs> right like i usually when there's something like fight choreographer or mm-hmm. you know sports sequence like you, there's a little something else that says not yeah. just in choreographer um so i'm i'm just curious about what that's going to look like because of course when i saw it as a staged reading a staged reading has no staging that's what it means to be a staged right. reading Laura um, is broadway baseball choreographer your dream job maybe <laughs> Would you judge me if I said yes? No. Like, you and Megan will be very happy together. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm fine. <laughs> You're fine? I'm fine. Like, uh, in- infection control specialist by day, Broadway baseball choreographer <laughs> by night. Infection control specialist for MLB. For right. MLB by day, Broadway baseball choreographer by night. I mean, that's how you learn the ins and outs to bring to the choreographer choreographer's yeah. job. So... Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. that's the dream right there. That's like everything I love all in <laughs> Bal- one place. Baltal spouse. Like <laughs> Yes, you can you can just yep. call me Mrs. So anyway, my psyche notwithstanding. Go see the Tony Stone play. Yeah, this is this is a slightly hard transition just because it's going from like, hey, things that are mostly positive to an MLB. Yeah, well, there's a lot of and MLB this year and this decade so Um, well so i didn't think that the marlins spanish lessons article was all bad there was some stuff in it let's talk about the marlins that's good it's mixed i had to laugh at jeter in that article well i have to laugh at jeter all the time well yeah yeah better than being extremely angry at jeter what was funny specifically about Cheater in the article just the way that so so for those who didn't see it there was uh, an article about the marlins um, implementing required Spanish lessons for their minor leaguers up to a certain level. And then it's at a certain point, the collective bargaining agreement d- doesn't allow teams to require classes, which I thought was really, really interesting, actually. Um, and I assume there must be some reason that would, MLB has abused in the past for that to be in there. Yeah, I mean, I would assume it'd be like forcing players who do not speak English to take English lessons. And the players union being like, maybe, maybe don't. It also makes me think of the forced etiquette lessons in the AAGPBL. Honestly, Um, let's do that. Like, I want to see, I want to see them all walking with books on their head. Because you know what? They'd be really good at it because they are freaking professional athletes. Somebody teach Noah Syndergaard how to cross his legs like a lady. Uh, <laughs> I just, I mean, I'm also pairing this up with what we've talked about him before. Of like, and here's how you properly load a dishwasher. Oh God, like, that was Mac, wasn't this it? This is Ricky and Kiel's job for the yeah. Nationals. Ricky and Kiel's finishing job. school is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, maybe don't require classes, but on the other hand, I feel like you know what, nutrition classes, lessons in a language, you know. This actually ties in with the the international um, draft versus how they handle international like recruiting of players in the DR specifically. Mm-hmm. Like they're very clear. A lot of these a lot of these literal kids quit school at age ten and eleven, mm-hmm. and I got like 
pissy with Nationals Twitter, like the Nationals Twitter, when they're like, some some twenty year olds are taking funnels. These twenty year olds are hitting homers, and I'm like, Ooh. yeah. Because, but is that a good thing? <laughs> yeah, 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 there's a lot to unpack on that one. And so, you know, I I I understand why not making players take lessons in English. Like I do, mm-hmm. I would understand that. Um, but I do think that there there might be something where like the players association and MLB can get together and be like no one should be forced to, but these are things that should be offered. Financial and literacy, for instance. Definitely financial yeah. literacy. And heavily in- incentivized, maybe we say. Like, it's not mandatory, but maybe it's a really good idea for you to do it. And stuff like GED classes, I feel like, yeah. particularly for the guys who quit school young, if baseball doesn't work out for them, or even if it does, but it just doesn't last forever... You know, not that everything you learn in high school is absolutely vital for later life, but but there's some there's some stuff in there that's pretty helpful. Mm-hmm. It's also just opportunities open to you if you have a piece of paper that says you have done that thing. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Like there's also that point of the point of the GED is not to have a GED necessarily, though that is helpful. Um, but and, and the sort of basic skills that come along with that and I'm saying this as somebody who was a high school teacher for 10 years mm-hmm. you know the point of it is to also say I can then go to some form of higher education or there are other opportunities that would be closed to me because I don't have this that are now open mm-hmm. and sort of like 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 there's just a variety of things but I think like I feel that financial literacy provided not by MLB MLB should not be the people tutoring people on financial literacy and not by agents um, or by, you know, like buscones or like folks in the DR who are working with like young people needs like it's necessary and Mm -hmm. it's so overlooked. And like, not like these are young people who have basically adult support networks, all of whom see them as a wheelbarrow full of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You need somebody who does not have a direct interest. Yeah. In, in, I mean, that t- seems like a weird thing to say about like a teacher, but like th- that person does not stand to benefit from the results of the information teaching. that they're given. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's something like we're talking about this specifically in the context of international players. And I think that that's like, it's almost, it's doubly important in those situations, but even like, just the the the, pe- the the American players who go up through the like the system, they're not necessarily equipped to handle some of this stuff either, and they're still being treated like wheelbarrows full of money, just from a slightly less exploitative stance. Yeah, like, and it's, it's a valuable thing for that, everybody. The skills that they do and don't have are probably somewhat different as well. Yeah, um, but I agree with you. Yeah, there's there's a lot of layers to this, and there's a lot of different people who are being exploited in different ways yeah and it's it this is just a case of like good on the marlins and that's a that's a rare day that i'm saying that (laughs) but like a lot of other teams are doing it and i think we've talked about the example of like wilmer flores had to learn english by watching freaking friends episodes yeah like that's not a charming anecdote that's an organizational failure yeah Mm -hmm. um i also think that like making english speaking making english speaking players have to learn another language also builds in people an inherent sympathy for the struggle of learning a language while doing something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the article goes into that in a sort of a glib way, honestly. And that was one of the only things where I was like, 
this is maybe not a fair comparison where Jeter was talking about like, yeah, there's places in Miami, like you can't order food if you don't speak Spanish. And on the one hand, I was like, yes, ordering food is a thing that is difficult if you don't speak a language. And on the other hand, I was like, this is perhaps the least high stakes example you could have chosen. <laughs> I will say in Miami, the default really is Spanish very consistently. It is hard to navigate some parts of the city. And again, I worked at, you know, I, I've gone out to schools there. So this is like not a case of being on a main strip if you do not, if you can't communicate with the people around you. So like that is a little bit of survival, like survival Spanish. Oh, I'm sure it's true. Yeah. It's just yeah. still coming from Derek Jeter. Yeah. Yeah. Who I, wouldn't answer questions in Spanish for the story because he didn't feel like he was there yet, which is fair, Ooh. but also just sort of the way that he, so he's getting, they have classes at the different levels. So he has classes with like his classmates or other people in the executive office, which kind of bummed me out because I really liked the mental image of like Derek Jeter humbling himself by taking classes with the English speaking AAA guys. I found that idea really yeah. charming and I was bummed that he was not actually doing that. And then on top of that, he has a private tutor twice a week. And he still wouldn't even try to answer a couple of questions in Spanish for the article, which players had done. Yeah. Players as part of this whole thing were like, yeah, let me give it a shot. Like, this will be fun. And, and Twitter wouldn't do that. And also just to go back to the players who are learning English as their second or potentially third language, they don't have a choice. Right. Like, they have to answer in interview articles constantly in a, their non-native language. Well, yeah, if they don't have the team-provided interpreter, which they which finally is have to better have. than it used to be, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I do think that there's a point where, like, when you're looking at sort of phases of bilinguality, like, not wanting to answer stuff is fairly typical for certain phases of it. Like, listening and reading obviously come online vastly before speaking or writing do mm -hmm. um and like i get that but of course derek jeter doesn't have the self-reflection to go i don't want to answer this in spanish and i now understand my players who don't want to answer in english right that's not where he yeah. went with it yeah or uh, if it was that's not how they quoted him and i i can i broaden who i think should be learning spanish beyond just the team in the front office and all of that I feel if you're a beat reporter at this point and you're reporting on baseball and you do not speak Spanish, you need to start learning. Yep. I agree. Get off your ass or, or sit on it. There's Duolingo, which is not perfect, but it but it's fine. It's helping me a little bit. But like, frankly, like the fact, you know, I'm, I'm going to still beat on the fact that the Washington Post always quotes players who don't speak English as their first language verbatim and doesn't freaking put any accent marks in any of their tweets just genuinely at this point is beyond like an oversight and into sort of like an insult mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and like the accent thing is definitely not a policy because because i want to say jorge castillo did it consistently i'll take i i don't have any reason to disbelieve you on that one and also, I mean, I'll say this, like, it's really, really easy to put accent marks on your phone. I am useless at that on a computer, but it's very easy on your phone. I have a couple keyboard shortcuts set up on my computer. But first of all, Microsoft Word has Spanish autocorrect. And there's copy and paste. Multiple modes. Yeah. And second of all, half the time, if I'm typing something on Twitter and one of my keyboard shortcuts isn't working or it's not one of the letters I have a keyboard shortcut set for, I just Google a word that I know has it and I copy yeah. it. Yeah. Well, so the other thing is, if you're on a Mac, you just hold the key down, and it puts a little hover over button that you oh, can just Oh, the same as on the there. iPhone? Yeah. Oh, nice. 
And you can also just Google the player's name and yeah, right. cut, copy and paste. Like, if right. you're not sure how to do accents on Annabelle Sanchez, guess what? Right. Well, I'm I'm referring to like tweets and stuff where you know I'm sure they're not tweeting from a computer when they're you know live tweeting these situations. I'm sure they're live tweeting from a phone, and it is literally the easiest possible thing to do on a phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but like a bunch a beat writer for the um for the Dodgers actually people like he didn't put the accent mark on Kike properly. Like he spelled it out and then put like, like an apostrophe and everyone's like, Mm. you just hold the keyboard shortcut down or you Google it and you cut and paste. It's easier than what you actually did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And like, this is not that hard. And like, regardless of how a bunch of fans, including Jewish fans feel about this, Kike has asked you to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you disrespecting the bend and snap that way? <laughs> like, so I tweeted a line from the Legally Blonde musical in response to that, and I was very disappointed by how few people knew what I was quoting. <sighs> I, I, I think I've seen the musical once. I mean, I've never seen the musical. I've just seen the movie. Yeah. So the musical number in the in the musical, that whole scene is a musical number. Okay. So the whole bend and snap. There's like all this additional choreography and they're singing about it and I put up a line from that and everybody didn't know what I was talking about and it made me sad. I wonder if Kike knows the musical. I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised either. I really just like having a moment for for like Kike doing the bend and snap. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We should move past that moment. Should we? <laughs> I like that moment. It's nicer than everything else we're going to talk about. Should we? Oh, okay, no, I'm gonna st- I'm gonna put a nice thing before we get into all the things. Okay, I'm doing it. What's the nice thing? The nice thing to bring back, which has been on a long hiatus because, goddamn it, nationals, players and plays we like this week, and I think we uh, are unanimous in this. Howie Kendrick. Howie Kendrick is the good thing about the nationals right now. Howie Kendrick has been a ray of sunshine. Mm-hmm. He has been productive at the plate consistently. He has been consistent defensively which is more than we can say for anybody else yeah and especially considering he's playing everywhere everywhere he played an extremely respectable third base yeah while tony was out having played very little third base i think we talked about this last time yeah yeah 17 games or something like that before yeah i am happy that tony is back oh Oh, yes um somebody on twitter had the temerity to insult uh tony's defensive metrics and (laughs) i did not get into a twitter fight but they were like i just like stats i'm like you don't understand you're quoting a sample size of like 10 games yeah like and you don't understand that defensive metrics are basically like the pattern of birds in the sky like yeah. yeah my entire lady science podcast was basically trashing defensive metrics it was fun and i'm just kind of like uh yeah you know how you know how we all feel a little bit better because tony's at their base again um mm-hmm. and honestly because defoe is at shortstop oh god <sighs> there is a reason you want I, I i know we all gave the shit about uh you know, not calling Vladito up because he had to work on his defense, but like Cartagena needs to work on his defense. Yeah. He legitimately does. And I think it was a good call up to see where he was at. And I'm not mad about it, but I think it I, ended the way that it should have with him going back down to work on his defense. I, the spaghetti I, did not stick to the wall. I think, I think it was just, the problem was not the call up. It was the continuing to make the same bad decision 
every single day in a row. Like it should have been fairly clear after like three games that that was not great. And maybe he should be a reserve player, like a bench player. Continuing to make the same bad decisions multiple days in a row. That doesn't sound like Davey at all. Oh no, God, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. (laughs) Are we talking about the bullpen yet? I mean, we're talking, we might be, and we're talking about everything, but the bullpen is the most egregious. Well, the bullpen is just continuing poor decision-making as opposed to some other things where it's like, this is just bad and there's not a specific choice that is making it bad. Like Anibal Sanchez's ERA. Like there's not a choice that's making that bad. It's just bad. Yeah. But the bullpen, the choices continue to be bad. And at this point, yeah. Yeah, it, it, oh. like it, and it is the choices because he, I mean we fire since I think our last episode the the hitting uh, bat, blah, 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 the pitching coach. coach has been fired. Yeah, I tried to send the helicopter to get Maddox, but he slipped through my fingers. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, Nats fans, that's my he, bad. He doesn't want to come back. Yeah, he has Jordan Hicks and not Dan Jennings. I would not. I would not leave Jordan Hicks for Dan Jennings. Oh. I would lead all of them for Sean Doolittle. Speaking of good things, I yes. enjoyed that Sean not only promoted uh, Night Out, but also mm. the the drag bingo show at which you can pick up your tickets for Night Out. Yeah. Sean, we adore you. We love you very there's much. Another good, there's another good thing about the yeah. Nationals. I would, I would throw Corbin onto that list. I know everybody was asleep for his latest start, but he pitched really well the other night, and he has been, don't tell Max... Please don't tell Max. Nobody tell Max I said this. He has been the most consistent starter so far this season. Max, I will say, has had one really bad start that he kind of effed up. But a lot of that is, you know, the team being a disaster around him and Max pitching respectively. I think the things that are going on with Max, I don't have the high expectations for Corbin that I have for Max. And so Corbin is exceeding my expectations because I didn't really have any. Mm -hmm. Whereas my standards for Max are so high that when he's doing fine, it's still fine. But we all kind of look at him and go, well, you're not knocking my socks off. So, and you're, you're not, you, you look at Max and expect him to drag the rest of the team through the mud by sheer force of personality. Cause he's done it before. Yeah. Yeah, But he's not a fair ask. But nothing's magic, you know. He can do yeah. an awful lot. He can smash a lot of cabbages potentially on other people's heads. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you can lead a horse to water. Yeah. But when the horse drowns it itself, <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, and the other thing is like Strauss. Strauss's last start was mwah, beautiful. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, it was. Like the fact that Strauss has been like, "Hey, if you thought my changeup is good, wait till you see this curveball," and everyone's like, "What? How?" Where? Who? I will say it was cold in Wisconsin when he was pitching, and you could tell he liked it because it was cold. (laughs) Yeah. I think he also, he found his groove in his last few starts. Yeah. Um, Uh. And I'm I'm very happy with how he's been looking. But again, I still think Corbin kind of started the most consistently and has stayed the most consistently. So if we're ranking them based purely on consistency, I stand by my Corbin choice. That doesn't mean that I'm thinking anything bad about Strauss. I'm very, very happy with where he's at. But I mean, Santos is basically occupying the same space that Gio occupied two years ago. Yes, but less endearingly. Yeah, and also less effectively. Less effectively. No, 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 I meant that. Like, keep in mind that Gio was like unemployed for a little while. Yeah. Um, and so like, we got rid of him and he's back with the Brewers, which, you know, he's in a better place. 
Milwaukee, um, <laughs> you know, with Christian Yelich, and they can maybe commiserate on on having escaped our nonsense or <laughs> or the Marlins' nonsense. But like the fact is that that you know, I was excited for Sanchez. Sanchez is the kind of pitcher I really like enjoy mm-hmm. watching because of the changes in velocity, and he's older and he's tricksy. And by older, I mean my age. Mm. Um, and tricksy and like a whole bunch of stuff that I really enjoy. And when he it's effective, it is effective. Like, just hasn't been. I think the thing is, he and Hellickson are both a total drain on the bullpen, which is already an incredible dumpster fire. Yeah. And so they're not going deep into games, both of them. And they're not consistent in the innings that they are throwing. And when they're coming out, it's not because they're completely exploding. It's because they're up above 100 pitches. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with, I agree with all of that. Um, I think that, you know, if we had a bullpen that was not literally the worst bullpen in the majors, we would be having a very different conversation. Like they could, a lot of mistakes could be covered up. Yeah. Like, um, and maybe some of that's on Derek Lilliquist. I don't know. I know that the nationals front office is some nonsense always. (laughs) Um, Dusty gave an interview where he's like, Oh, I miss them, but like, and I really enjoyed my time in DC, but like, they're never going to admit they made a mistake and bring me back. But like, I'd be open to it. And we're like, Wait, are you single? You should come back. Because, <laughs> like, what's the Tinder direction? Swipe right? Is that the right one? I'm that old. Is the I've, right never, one. I've yes. never used a Tinder before. Yeah. Is there is there <laughs> Tinder for a better manager? <laughs> it's manager with no E. <laughs> can we just, can we stage a coup? And just, like, remove all of the front office, like, send them on a cruise for two weeks. And when they come back, oh, Dusty Baker's here. How did that happen? I I guess we just got to keep using him. Oops. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, honestly, and I don't think Martin, like, Davey wouldn't want this. But, like, the original plan was to bring in somebody like Martinez and have them, like, essentially, like, learn from Dusty and then have a peaceful and and normal transition from bench coach to manager. Mm -hmm. Once Dusty decided that he wanted to, you know, go watch his son grow up a little bit, um, yeah. you know, and that that was the plan. And then the learners were like, "JK, we didn't go to the World Series." So yeah, I, I really strongly though believe we're going to get to the World Series this year. <laughs> like we could drive there in a van. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, the team will be there. They don't being on the field is not a requirement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can get tickets to Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> we can actually. We. I, I think if I were going to call it, I probably like Milwaukee Rays, which oh. MLB is crying over because they're like the markets. They're so small. <laughs> I don't want to validate the Rays nonsense. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, somebody shared a, a Harry Potter sorting for like MLB teams. The Nationals got Ravenclaw. And I'm like, what's opposite really? Ravenclaw? It's not no. Hufflepuff. It's just, I was like, first of all, it's some Slytherin bullshit. Like, it's all Slytherin bullshit. No, we're like the fifth Hogwarts house of, I don't know, one of the weird ones. Squib. We're squibs. We're squibs. Like, we're. <laughs> We're the filch of baseball. Oh, <laughs> uh, without the smart cat. Um, well, no, we have a couple of smart cats that put together make one Mrs. Norris. Yeah. <laughs> but the rest of us are squibs. But I'm like, the rays are not Ravenclaws. That is some Slytherin. I want to underpay yeah. people, so I'm going to look at it non- numbers and nonsense. All front offices are Slytherins. Like, yeah, a- 100%, no deviation. 
But the, all front offices are Slytherins, but there it's like the joke about medical school. Somebody always has to be the, the last student in the class, right? So, but is still a doctor. Some front office is the worst Slytherin. I mean, it's the Astros. <laughs> uh, but actually, so this is back to the, the article about the international draft. Speaking of Slytherin-ass moves, they want to institute an international draft, um, supposedly because um basically the the system by which dominican and venezuelan players come through is incredibly corrupt um and players are often giving up like 40 percent of their signing bonuses and basically being drugged by their coaches and scouts um at the and like having handshake deals with teams at age 13 and 14 and dropping out of school and the solution that mlb comes up for it is pay them less well that's their solution to everything yeah, you know, because, you know, if we drafted them, we would pay them less and therefore something, 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 something profit. Yeah, I, I was like, how would that? And so there's an incredibly mealy mouthed and weaselly article by Jeff Paz on, um, on ESPN about it. People have been calling out Jeff, what's his face on Twitter, too, for some of his uh, sleaziness with regards to all of this. Yeah, like this, like yeah. the um, the sentence that I think I highlighted is considering how central the distribution of revenue will be to the conversation, the gap between what international and domestic amateurs receive annually is sure to be a point of contention. Weasel sentence. Mm -hmm. Like, do you hear how much work those passive verbs are doing? Mm. Yeah. Considering how central the distribution of revenue will be to the conversation. Hmm. Notice that there's not an actor in that sentence. Yep. Considering how MLB will center the distribution of revenue and create a gap between what international and domestic amateurs will receive, it will be a point of contention because players feel like they should be paid equitably. Thank That's you. Like, write me my check, ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. There is a certain amount of um, complicitness with certain ends, uh, certain branches of the wider baseball media that's like they're either okay with what MLB is doing or they have a vested interest in what MLB is doing so like they don't want to call it like they actively don't want to call it out in any way shape or form and it's just a case of like a lot of people are like hey there are rules against this why are those rules not being enforced and that would uh, be a place to start rather than let's just tear it down and make a draft that's going to make everything worse. Gee, we have these rules for a reason. I wonder what would happen if we had a structure to enforce them. Yeah, and I wonder what would happen if we, you know, really actually de-incentivized all of these practices because the reason they're happening is because they're so heavily incentivized. Mm -hmm. But then we wouldn't be able to sign Juan Soto at age, thir uh, at age 16. So <laughs> this is a case of, of you know... <sighs> This sort of practice only happens when you, like, uh, anyway, make fertile ground for it. And just, like, the two-faced Slytherin-ery of this is is just so open and transparent. I don't know. And, and then, yeah, ESPN is just like, yeah, we don't want to make MLB mad by saying that they need to... Yeah. Terra, like terror system to the ground a little bit, but that does need to be torn to the ground a little bit. Nothing we haven't railed about in one shape or form or another. I like, you know, it gets aggravating to keep having to do this. <laughs> I just want them to do one thing not shitty. Like, one thing. Yeah, we got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Don't even have, like, good playing to fall back on. Yeah, you know, the only thing we have is spite. 
Actually, I've decided to just like lean in and, and fast forward through the stages of grief. So I'm just laughing at it now. You know, full on stop it. We're already dead. Eh. You know, just like, okay, we're just, we're dead. Let's just move on from the deadness and see how much fun we can have left by making fun of it. I've walked into the void, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's May 11th. I think we're there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bryce um, Harper is hitting below the Mendoza line if we want to talk about spite. <laughs> <laughs> His OBP is still good because he walks a lot. So, like, you know, I'm a big fan of that. But, like, you know, this is not a case of, like, you pulled out the keystone and, like, the ecosystem collapsed. No. And he's doing the exact same thing now he was doing last season. He's hitting homers and he's walking and that's all he's doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when it was us, it was frustrating, but we had to make a lot of excuses for why it was still good because his OBP was still good, which is true. But doesn't really feel true when you're losing. <laughs> and now yeah. at least it's happening to somebody else. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I, I did kind of want to tweet at Philly's Twitter, who I have, you know, they're fine. Um, be like, did he fix his neck? The answer is no, he didn't. His he, neck? He's had a persistent neck problem for years. Oh, that you meant like a, like, I thought you meant like the shape of his neck. And I was like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> no, yes, Mark Melanson okay. is the one who just doesn't have one. Um, uh, this this is so I have you guys seen the stupid Twitter fight? I'm putting that in quotes about people who don't wash their legs in the shower. Yes. <laughs> so I tell this to Sam, my husband, and he goes, well, it seems inconvenient to wash your legs out of the shower. <laughs> <laughs> like genuine confusion and i'm like no no they're just not putting soap on their legs and he's like oh like like that hit a a point for him now keeping in mind he also will not moisturize his own elbows um because he is suspicious of lotion so we're we're working on things at the risk of getting totally slaughtered here if i'm shaving my legs then i will actively wash them if they are visibly dirty, then I will actively wash them. But other than that, everything that I'm washing above drips down and washes my legs, doesn't it? I don't really care what people do in the shower, so I'm certainly not going to roast you. I don't know that I've ever paid the slightest bit of attention to <laughs> how I wash my body, other than it gets clean. So yeah, I'm not going to judge clean. you. My legs like, are clean. Nope, I'm on team wash your legs. That's it. I mean, 100%. I, didn't, I, I didn't realize that moisturizing your elbows was a requirement. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I feel and you have both have been in my bathroom that there are a lot of of products there. Yeah, that maybe are absent from your sort of everyday routine so i'm going to abstain from this conversation <laughs> wash your legs yeah, if i'm shaving them which is and a lot of the feet. time anyway i wash my feet okay yeah you gotta wash your feet. i know where they've been <laughs> hmm. i i will i will agree to disagree okay but yeah no speak but like bryce harper his neck still still not working does he wash it uh, <laughs> Yeah, we went on a really long tangent to get back to the... One assumes that whatever high-end place he has do his hair, that they would wash his neck as part of that. Because I don't really trust that he's doing it himself. No, no, I mean, he's got personal neck washer money. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he has the kind of money where you never need to, to wash your own neck again. You know how when babies, like, if you don't wipe off their neck, they kind of get, like, a bunch of gunk stuck in that fold back there? Mm hmm 
Yeah. No. Babies so, are gross, Kay. Don't 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 find out. Yeah. I wasn't planning to. But yeah, so if you don't wash a baby's neck, they do get stuff stuck back in there. So I feel like Bryce Harper probably can just pay somebody else to get rid of that. See, all I'm picturing right at the moment is Bryce Harper going to like the Pet Smart doggy salon <laughs> to pay for grooming, which is an interesting impression, but not, I think, the takeaway we want to have from this. Does he wear his direwolf costume when he goes to do that? He is a furry, we know this. Yeah, yep. so he and TJ Oshi can probably go to the same conventions. <laughs> Jesus. Where did we <laughs> why did we start talking about this? I just was like Bryce Harper isn't hitting because he has yeah. clear untreated neck issues that have been persistent for the past few years and like people just kind of accept that he has them. I don't know much about the Phillies medical staff, but if it's anything else if it's anything like the rest of the medical staff up and down the east, they're probably operating on a duct tape and paper clips system like the rest of us. So they're probably sending him for energy healing. Cupping. <laughs> He's getting his neck cupped. No, we would know. Yeah, it looks like, <laughs> I mean, it looks like hickeys. I know. I haven't been looking at his neck very closely. Clearly so not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know if he had cup hickeys. Um, I've actually gotten my hip, my side of my hip cupped, like therapeutic cupping. It's basically just like... It's not the full cup where, like, it's sucked up into the thing and then it releases toxins. It's just, like, basically a little suction cup that does help loosen up muscle somewhat. And, basically, and increase blood flow, I would assume. Yeah, and it, it spares, the, spares the therapist's hands a, a little bit as well. I want to make it clear that, like, this stuff is not, not... I'm not throwing all of it in the wastebasket here. Like, there are alternative therapies that are great. However, my approach to them is that they should be accompanied in most cases, by well-evidenced medical treatments administered by a person who knows what they're doing and what all the person is having other than what they're doing. And I do not, for a moment, trust any of the MLB slash team-specific medical staffs to be doing that. I, I concur wholeheartedly with all of that. Um, and, and like, again, having my hip cup is part of the sort of comprehensive medical treatment for a very persistent issue. Um, so like, it's also like, Hey, it's the end of the day. And like my PT's hands are tired. So the little suction cup thing just does the same thing as basically a massage. I like massages. Yeah. yeah. Well, this feels like, uh, being massaged by a vacuum. <laughs> An octopus. Like a vacuum octopus, vectopus. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing good to talk about with the nationals other than Howie Kendrick and Sean Doolittle. Is there? Uh, Corbin. Well, Corbin. Corbin. Kurt Suzuki. I like him against the Phillies. I like him in in general. We know. Does Kurt Suzuki know that we we named a goat after him? I don't think so. We tried to tweet at him. I kind of hope he doesn't. But I also kind of hope he does. It's a weird place to be emotionally. Um, And isn't that just the summary of all of it right there? (laughs) A weird place to be emotionally. emotionally. Yeah, I mean, this this whole season is shrug emoji. Like, it is certainly happening, but, like, <laughs> my my goal at this point is to find one good thing in each game I watch and then just call it a day. Yeah, I think that's a good approach. I also, the, the sort of nice thing about the games the last few nights, I have fallen asleep listening to the radio broadcast, and you kind of get bits and pieces. You know, you're in and out. Somebody did something... 
and then you fall back to sleep and then somebody made a good play and then you fall back to like i feel like you i've i've entered like this baseball dreamland <laughs> where like i don't really know what's happening it's just kind of there and soothing uh, yeah i'm mostly like hey one one good thing has happened i'm i'm going to leave it there like like turn the game off no or, like just... emotionally leave it there yeah emotionally leave it there yeah like find the one good thing that's happened and emotionally you kind of go okay all right i'm good i'm done yeah i'm just at nothing matters so why worry about it why worry about it nothing matters <laughs> like it's fine so uh, you're just nihilistic yeah yeah is mine optimism or realism i think yours is realism and yours i'm just is magical somewhere. realism yeah i was gonna say surrealism but actually magical realism is better Okay, so nihilism, realism, and magical realism. That sounds like us. <laughs> that sounds like a very niche bookstore. <laughs> I, if, I'm sure Sean's reviewed it on Twitter. I was going to say, that sounds like a place that Sean would be. All right, we were talk in about... that bookstore an hour after he was. We just missed him. I'm so uh, Do fine. we want to talk about queer fancy stats? Oh, sure. Yeah, so, so queer fancy stats based on Sean Doolittle's Gimli continues. That is, for those who missed the last episode... A measure of the leverage. So basically the leverage of the game when he is entering it. Um, so the May total is at $8.32 thus far. And I believe it is still a donation to Smile, but I will double check on that. And he's also, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, he's been really um, great about promoting things for the upcoming um, night out, which I want to say is June 4th. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Jen so June fourth, there's special tickets to get the Rainbow Curly W shirts included, or you can just get a regular ticket and wear your own Rainbow Curly W merch if you have it already. Um, but yeah, you can find the special tickets on Sean Doolittle's Twitter. Oh, I have a I was question say one good thing that did come out of a bunch of nonsense without sports that we're not going to get into was mm. that Mel Magazine is also matching queer fancy stats donations. Yes. So thanks, Mel. And I was just going to ask. This is actually the question I meant to ask before. This is the first time the nationals themselves have participated in this. Am I correct? Like if I were, what I remember from last year with night out was that it was basically a group of people organized it themselves and you paid cause they made, they made their own t-shirts and they bought a block of tickets together. And that was the extent of it. Now it seems like the nationals are actually the ones doing it. Am I so reading this wrong? The nationals have promoted it in the past, right? Whether they were the ones who created the special ticket block or whether Team DC was the ones doing that, I'm not sure. They have promoted it, albeit much less so than other in the park events, as an official in the park event for several years at least. But it may have shifted in that they're the ones that are actually doing the ticket block. I'm not sure on that. Because I got an email from them being like, if you want to do their guaranteed giveaways for the special promotions night, and Night Out was one of those special oh. promotions. And I was like, I don't remember the team ever being directly involved before other than like tacit approval and you know it's through the mlb ballpark app which is a garbage fire in and of itself Oy. um but like it is a case where you can if you're a season ticket holder i think el like basically do something in order to convert one of your tickets to a night out ticket via the yeah. app yeah um so which definitely I a lot more they're doing more i think it has been an official promo Without they, any of their input or organization. I think. Yeah, they've kind of been passive. You know, I think there were like very, very few and far between promos on Masson last year. And that was about it. Um, 
And the other thing is, you know, last year Sean bought people cake. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. This year, I know he in particular is very involved with it, and that's mostly tangentially via Jen organizing that I know mm-hmm. that. Um, but certainly, he has promoted it on Twitter and and continues to be a a great a great ally. Yes, and uh, it's definitely the most a player has been involved. I think it had gone on pretty much under the radar of the players and their families until five-ish years ago when Erica Scherzer, Erica May Scherzer started promoting it herself. Um, But to my chagrin, Max never got involved. But that was the beginning of any of the players or their families having anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Sean and Aaron really just took it up to the next level. And he himself has been involved in promoting it and organizing it. And they're both involved with Smile... So it's it's nice to kind of track its growth, I would say. it's This is a good thing that the Nationals are doing. There's a trajectory here. You know, it was a good thing to have originally, but it was very much a baseline. Then Erica got involved. Then the team started promoting it on Masson for the first time. Now Sean and Aaron are involved for the second year, and it's getting bigger. Like, I think this is actually a very good trajectory to be on. I think, you know, as frustrating as it is to see the team not really do anything initially, they are slowly getting more involved. And I think that's great. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that they hear from us that we think that's great. Yeah. I mean, how do I put this? Way to get on board, guys, with the most liberal fan base outside of probably Oakland in the country. Yeah, but the Yankees have still never even done a Pride Night. so I mean, they are this season, though. I think all, all the teams are. Yes, this is the first year. But talk, I mean, New York, I guess New York has everybody. But like, queer epicenter of the East Coast doesn't have a pride night at all yeah i i i hear you on that um and obviously the the yankees are the yankees but right, like, and there's a lot of layers to this but my, st- my point is the political gamble of doing this in dc is very minimal true yeah um and so like i'm happy to see that the team looked at the looked at the, looked at it and said oh yeah turns out yeah, it's I think fine. I think they looked at their pocketbooks and were like, ooh, we could actually profit off of this one. Yeah. But uh, that's the cynical take on things. Well, no, of course that's what they're doing. That, what do you think the rainbow merch is all about? Yeah. They don't care how happy it makes people. They care that we buy it. Yeah. yeah. No, but I, I'm happy to see that the team is involved. I'm happy to see that the players, that he's involved. And at the very least, and this is the least, all of the other players have kept their damn mouths shut. Mm-hmm. If they got nothing nice to say, they should not say it. Yeah. So um, is sort of the feeling. Um, I will say one of the the issues that the queer fancy stats version out in Colorado is having is that Daniel Murphy isn't hitting. Talking about spite. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about karma. Talking about everything. Um, but yeah. So uh, I think they might they might be considering how to how to do that in such a way to actually raise a little bit more money. Yeah. <laughs> That would be that would be the ideal situation. Daniel Murphy not hitting and a lot of money being donated. I, I feel like they should have money donated for both his hitting and defensive miscues. <laughs> so eh, spite. This yeah. episode is brought to you by the emotion spite. <laughs> it's one way to live. <laughs> it's the only way to live if you're me. <laughs> Can I also very quickly plug something I wrote for short relief? Yes, which was please. About bees. <laughs> about bees? It was about oh, bees. I, that. I haven't read it yet. It's bees. about bees. And not Steven Strasberg. No, it His was about... Okay. Uh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> so there were bees that delayed a Cincinnati Reds game. 
Um, and basically, as it happened, one of the, the fans who was in attendance was an apiarist um, who helped them corral the swarm. And I mean swarm, literally, of yeah. bees into a box. Uh, because it was bees as they're swarming are actually seeking out a new hive location. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty docile when they're doing this behavior. Um, Derek Dietrich dressed up and tried pretended to spray them. And I'm like, don't harm bees, Derek Dietrich. Um, Didn't they put them into a bobblehead box too? I, I think they bought it. <laughs> there would have uh, had to have been a fairly small number of bees to fit in a bobblehead box. You no, know, like one of the big boxes. Oh, that like has the, all the little the... bobbleheads. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, they did put them into a giant box, and they only delayed it by like eighteen minutes too. So like they only delayed the game by a little bit. Long um, enough to make a matzo. You know, long enough to make a matzo or a, a giant box of bees. <laughs> you know, I I find it odd considering it seems like almost once a year. There a, a game gets delayed by bees. I'm surprised this is the first time there's actually been an apiarist in attendance. Yeah, and this this is a guy who'd apparently been an apiarist for years and years and years before. Um, so like he has a he's a long t- like long term in terms of like mm-hmm. uh, understanding what to do if you have a swarm of bees. Yeah. Um, but to all you kids out there, as as FP would say, if you see a swarm of bees, do not pretend to spray them call an apiarist in at least Montgomery County, this is a hotline. Like if you call 311, you can be put in contact with an apiarist who will come and collect mm-hmm. bees for you, which is really, really valuable because honeybees are, are obviously um, threatened. I think they might even be endangered at this point. Um, so please don't antagonize them because bees are friends. Yes, bees are friends. All, all bees are friends, regardless of even if they're honeybees or not. And don't try to guess at which type of bee it is. Just yeah. protect. Um, and I will say, these guys have put their money where their mouth is, because the two of them talked me into rehabilitation <laughs> of a bee that made it into my apartment the other day. And I just wasn't sure how to rescue it without hurting it or me. And I had some great suggestions and moral support from Kay and Sid. So they would do the same. Bees are positively phototoxic, so when one gets in your house, turn the lights off, open a window, and if it's daylight, they will fly towards the light. It worked. It does. I I had a classroom, and we uh, we had carpenter bees that would come in fairly frequently. Yeah. So we had a little biology lesson called Stop Screaming, It's a Damn Bee. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the lights are off. The bee went to the window. This is what phototaxis is. Let's break that word down, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Michelle Reed, the former chancellor of D.C. public schools, once ate a bee that came into her classroom. Mm. On purpose? On purpose, because she's many things, none of them good. Um, but what you should do is turn the lights off and open a window. Yeah. Don't eat them, because that's weird. And just unpleasant, I would think, for everyone involved. It was to assert her power over the bee. Yes, because that's what how bees understand things. I, I was like, one, don't eat your sisters. And two, like... I also got to use the phrase cultivated sperm collect or sperm uh, generators in baseball prospectus. So nice. I'm living the dream. Nice. nice. I was talking about male bees. I was like, yeah, you haven't seen one. Yep. Uh, they got big silly eyes and they can't fly that well. All they, they only live for to impregnate the queen and then they die. <laughs> I do periodically remind people who refer to bees and ants as he that they are wrong. And I don't usually get the response that I'm hoping for but I'm working on my delivery. 
So I definitely had to, and Kay was there. Kay, you were you were there when we had to stop watching Ant Man because I kept yelling "Answer, girls!" No, I actually we've, wasn't there. We had just talked about it before. We've talked about this on the podcast. I think we have. Uh, but I had I had just told you about my reaction, and then you texted me. I think while you were watching it, and we're just like really angry. And I'm like, ants and bees don't have a gender identity, but they're still girls. God damn it! Uh, All um, right. Anyway, but bees are friends. If bees you can. Friends. Put out a bee house for uh, or a bee hotel for any wandering bees who might need a place to rest. And, and Reed said baseball prospectus about bees. Yes, and, this. and it's about how bees are um, relentlessly democratic in terms of their elections. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So with the, I think this is as good a point as any to to sign off for us. Um, so check us out. Our Twitter is resting pitch base with no G. You can follow us there for any and all updates and other information not included in specific podcast episodes. Um, you can check out all of our business at restingpitchbase.com, including uh, our merch store. If you ever want to uh, sort of rep our brand, which is a bit of a crazy thing to rep, but let's, you know, let's just go with it. Um, and you can always email us at restingpitchbase at gmail.com. For the bees, I'm Kay. <laughs> I'm Laura. And I'm Sydney. Let's go bees. <laughs> Let's go bees. Let's go bees. Please come back, Tyler. It's just not the same since you went away. We really miss your eyewear. And the way you confuse that is at the plate. There's a C for you right next to Drew, and we need you to pitch the A. Besides, there's no other team uses chocolate sauce to celebrate.